walks across the water in the midst of a storm and the boat is in rough shape and it's bad and he comes across and his disciples don't recognize him. They think it's a ghost. They don't get it. It's a ghost and they're terrified. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says this, if it's you, Lord, then tell me to come. And Jesus says, come on, come on. And we know the story, Peter steps out of the boat and he starts fine. He starts, he steps out and he starts walking. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks down at the water and he starts to sink. And the beautiful part of this story, they, come on, Peter, you should have got that right. But the beautiful thing is Jesus did nothing of the such. Jesus didn't wait for him or anything else. He just reached out, picked him up, and they walked together back to the boat again. And I want to tell you that we had a testimony this morning or Donna sharing in that Jesus didn't promise us that this life following Christ would be easy. As individuals or when we joined arms together to walk together, he never promised it was going to be simple, that there wouldn't be bends in the road, there wouldn't be stuff. He actually said, you know, in this world you'll have trouble. But then he went on to say, he says, but take courage because I've overcome the world. In other words, you don't need to be afraid and you can have courage because Jesus is right there. And the other part of that song, that song there, the person singing out, it sounds like a crazy thing to ask. Take, lead me, call me out beyond what I can handle, where the water's deep and I can't touch. And I'm telling you that serving Christ is all about that. God doesn't leave us in the safe, secure little thing. And it's not because he's, he's trying to make us afraid. He has so much for us to do in his kingdom work, and he wants to do so much in us that he calls us beyond what we're used to, beyond what we're comfortable with, to meet him where we can have an encounter with his power and be used of him. And I want to encourage you to not be afraid to step out of the boat, to step out of your comfort zone, even if it doesn't make sense, but at the Lord's bidding, do what he says and trust that he'll be there to hold your hand and not to leave or forsake. Let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that you warned us that there would be trouble. You warned us all over. You, you warned your disciples, and I believe it's true for us, Lord, that following you and joining together in kingdom work with, with other believers wasn't going to be without pitfalls and difficulties and trouble. But Lord, that's not the mark of whether we're pleasing to you or whether we're on the right track. Lord, I pray in the end that we would do what you've called us to do and then look to you for the hope, the security, and the strength that we need. Trusting, Lord, that you'll do the same thing. And even when we take our eyes off of you and sink like Peter did, and we make a mistake, knowing that you are right there to reach your hand out and bring us back and walk with us. Thank you that you're loving in that way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I uh, mentioned last week that we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about human sexuality, which is a very delicate, real, but very real topic in the world that we live in today. Um, our culture's norms, I don't even need to go to the world, our just culture's norms here in the, in the United States um, have changed drastically in recent decades. And depending on how old you are, you have some history and maybe if you're younger, you don't have as much history. But over the re re previous decades, it's, 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 it's changed drastically the way our culture views human sexuality. And then it's even changed more rapidly in recent years, in recent days. It seems like it changes regularly. We're seeing massive change in how our culture views sexuality, what our culture considers acceptable, 
We have seen norms and distinctions that were widely accepted for generations. Not 10 years, not 15 years, but for, for, for generations that were, that were accepted. And we've seen those things change before our eyes. And whether we want it to or not, the changes that are going on culturally as far as human sexuality affect all of us. For some of us, it affects us directly, but for everyone, at least, it affects you indirectly by what's going on around you. There are many in our culture who are vulnerable, broken, hurt, and have a lot of questions about this whole topic of human sexuality. As our culture continues to embrace change in human sexuality and practices, at times it seems like it's giving less answers and creating more questions. So in the midst of that, what do you and I do as Christians in the midst of that? If we claim to be followers of Christ, and we claim to look to Him for answers, where do you get those answers? Where do you find the answers? And I think our culture is asking the same questions, not necessarily about from God, but where do you find those answers? The question can come out too, like for, for us specifically, but also for people in the culture. Is there a reliable, unbiased source to look to for help in determining what a person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ should believe regarding our sexuality and its practice in today's world? And then the idea is, let's get personal. What do I do with my own struggles with my sexuality? It's very easy in this topic to always look at somebody else and what they're dealing with and to be very careful and guarded about my own stuff. But as a follower of Christ, what are we to do with our own sexuality and our own struggles that we might have? Now, first off, I want to remind you of the message I preached last week. The message we pre preached last week, it was on the unchanging nature of God, and it actually was the foundational base for this message. Okay? Um, we talked about the unchanging nature of God, and in that, we looked at Scripture. I didn't just stand up and say it, and I refer you. If you did not listen to that, you really should. Don't take my word for it, because this can sound very dogmatic and very, yeah, right in your face. But it was developed last week in 40 to 45 minutes of talk and looking at Scripture. And we, came to, we looked at some things that where Scripture tells that God doesn't change, God's truth doesn't change, God's plan doesn't change, we also found out that God is the source of the only absolute truth, and in that is also, to, to narrow that down even further, He is the only source of absolute moral truth. Okay? Can't stress enough, it would be very healthy for you if you did not listen to last week's message to get to our website and listen to it in whatever form you choose to do so. I believe this, that if you, if, if you and I fail to embrace those truths right there, the truths about God and our lives and, and, and live in light of them. That we, we grab that about God, we believe it, and then live our lives accordingly. If we fail to do that, we will not be able to navigate the culture's wars over human sexuality. If we don't, if we don't grab that and stand strong with our feet buckled to that, we will not be able to navigate as Christians. You're saying, well, that's a negative statement about being a Christian. But I'm just telling you how important it is that we are moored tightly to God's unchanging nature and His unchanging truth. If we do so, we will find that we will actually fail to do the things that please God in the realm of our sexuality, and we'll also fail to represent to a world that desperately needs His insights. 
We say, well, the world's really not asking questions. The world never asks questions, but deep down inside, there are many who are looking for answers, who are struggling, who have questions. And we're called as the body of Christ, as individual followers of Christ, to actually represent God and to share God's truths, but to do that in a Christ-like manner. Okay. What we really need desperately is we need God's thoughts regarding human sexuality. And depending on your awareness of the Bible and how much you know, if you're not well acquainted with it, you say, does the Bible really talk about that stuff? Oh yeah, it's all over the place in there. It shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. All over. It's, it's a regular part of God's truth. So we don't have to speculate on this stuff. We need to see what God has to say about it. Especially in the days that we live in. We need to know what, is, what His plan, what His purpose and what his will is in the arena of sexuality. We need, to, uh, we need his instructions so that we can engage with our culture that desperately needs to know what God has to say. Now, this all starts with a reminder for you and I or exposure to God's truths regarding sexuality. I will say this, it can be difficult in today's world for you and I to understand what God is saying. And the reason for that is it's not that what God is saying is hard to understand. It's because you and I are immersed in a culture that for generations has moved further and further and further and further away from what God has said in general, but also what God has said regarding sexuality. And so to the degree that we're immersed in the culture, and just by being a person who's a citizen of the United States, you can't avoid this totally. You can insulate yourself somewhat, but you're just still inundated. And that's on varying degrees. And that makes it more difficult to really grab a hold of and understand what God is saying. But there's hope. There's hope that God will instruct us, that he'll teach us and lead us in his ways. And listen to what it says. John tells us in his uh, uh, gospel, he tells us that the Holy Spirit, he was, he was foretelling uh, Jesus was foretelling in John's recording it that the Holy Spirit was going to come in a fresh new way as a result of his death and resurrection. And in that, Jesus is teaching and says that the Holy Spirit is given to help us in the very things that we're talking about, in this idea of understanding and applying God's truth. And these are directly, in, in Jesus' discourse in, in, in John, in the middle part of the book of John, uh, talking about the Spirit, he says, He will teach you all things. Listen, he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything, in Jesus speaking, he will remind you of everything that I have told you or that I have taught you. He's saying again, the Holy Spirit will come and, 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 and remind us of the things that Jesus taught and said. He, the Spirit will guide you, will guide you and direct you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit will make known to you and I what God says and what Jesus says. And you have heard me say this before and others from this pulpit that one of the things, the best things you can do is to make yourself very familiar with the teachings of, Je of, of Jesus. To understand and make yourself as familiar as possible with God's Word by reading it over and over and over again. And you enable then and cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He brings understanding and brings things to your memory when you need them the most. You'll have warning flags that go off when you hear something that's not quite right or slightly off. 
But if you don't have the Word of God in your heart and you're not engaging with that regularly, it makes it much more difficult for the Holy Spirit to do His job because He doesn't have anything to draw on. So read your Bibles over and over again. Make it a habit. And I want to I start with a prayer. Uh, Peter, would you pray and ask that the Spirit would come in our midst this morning and lead us into all stand, understanding and teach us? Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. Amen. Now, I came to a conclusion this week that there's no way I can cover all this today. Okay? I could try, but that would not be fair to all of us or to anybody that would listen to that singular message because... The Bible has so much to say that to do it well is going to take time. Okay? It's going to take time. So it will be a series of messages building on last week's platform, number one. Um, I'm going to ask you, challenge you, to listen to all of it. Protect yourself, guard yourself from making a snap judgment on a portion of one message or one message alone. What would be ideal if we could block out about six hours of time today and go beginning to end, cover the whole thing. The problem with that is, first off, do we, most of us would say, well, I can't do that, I don't have that kind of time. And secondly, even if we had the time, would we be able to absorb it all in six hours? Sometimes the best thing we can do is take a piece, digest it, come back, take another piece, digest it, and then, and then put those pieces together as time goes on. But that's going to take active work on your part. Okay. Take active work on your part to be thinking and meditating on these things, to maybe reread some scriptures, and to make it a point to get all the, all the different things. Okay, Listen to all of this in its entirety, because it's very important in this area, <clears throat> in any area, but when it comes to human sexuality, it's important that we hear and seek understanding of the full counsel and the full teaching of God in that area. Okay, So, when I say it's going to take time, it's going to take this week. Now, here's, 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 the, here's the really difficult spot. My wife and I leave Thursday to go visit our daughter in Florida. So I won't be here for the next two weeks. I say, oh, I've got to wait two weeks. And then when we come back, the first Sunday that I'll be back in church again is Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. And so I'm kicking this off today. But I think you'll see at the end, it's a good spot to start with, with the unchanging nature of God last week and what I'm going to share this week, and then pick up in a month, which I'll give a little review maybe at the beginning of that one to refresh your memories. And I might even put over GC's chat to remind you, maybe you want to listen to those two messages that were in the distant past, okay? Um, you know, it's weird sometimes, so we do this, and I often told you, it's, it's very important if you come to church regularly, and even if you don't get in the building, but you're listening to these messages week after week, it is important that you recognize that these are not, although they are standalone messages, the way that I approach preaching, the way God seems to do that in me, many of these things build week to week to week to week. You've got to realize I was a classroom teacher for over 20 years in math. And in math specifically, you are definitely building on blocks week after week, day after day, and ready, year after year. What you learned in this course, you've got to know to handle this course, and then you've got to know that in that course to handle the one over here. 
Like if you're going to do calculus, you better know your algebra really well. And so these are the same ideas. Now that takes discipline on us because in our day and age we want, we want to come in and do our half an hour, 45 minutes, or an hour church service, hour and a half, get the 45 minutes teaching and go on away and forget about that and come back the next week and get a fresh one. Well, we're not going to walk fully in the counsel of God if we don't start trying to let and, and asking God to help us tie messages together. Okay? So enough said. So what we're going to do today is if we're going to understand and hear God's thoughts about sexuality, the best place to start is not just in the Bible, but to go all the way back to where sexuality began. And that requires to go back to the beginning, back in creation, back into Genesis. Okay? First thing I want to point out to you. Let's read this together. Genesis 1, chapters, or Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is at the end of the creation account. Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible. All the creation has occurred. And then it comes this, God said, let us, meaning what? Jesus is there, God's there, Holy Spirit is there, the Holy Trinity is there at that time. It says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You say, what does that have to do with sexuality? All that's talking about is creation. This has everything to do with sexuality. You and I can't overlook, when you look at that, when God created people, when he created the human race, he created men and women. He created two distinct genders. And the interesting thing is the physiological differences between men and women, between the two genders, are obvious. There's no biological person, out, biological scientist out there that would, that would argue that factually, as far as the physical differences that they're there, and also the psychological differences, because I remember going to both those classes in high school, and then in college, in psychology, and them talking about the, the distinct differences psychologically between men and women. So when it says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, two distinct genders with distinct qualities. Okay? Now, there'll be more on that issue topic. Some of you already realize that there's a lot in there, that, but I'm not going to pack that today. Okay, I'm not going to, I will, I will come back to that. But I want to say this, that why did he do that? Why did God create two distinct genders? Well, you can say one thing is, he said he made us in his image, that's another day, in the likeness of him, I'll tackle that one in one of the future messages. But initially here, he made two distinct genders like he did for all the animals and for the purpose of reproduction. Okay? Um, look what it says here in Genesis 1.28. Right after, we said before, it was 26 and 27, the next verse. God blessed them, the man and the woman, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The first thing he told them after they were created and the fullness of man and woman was together, he says, now be fruitful. He blessed them. And said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Okay? 
we know, and now I'm just, I'll try to do this as tastefully as I can. Okay? We know that the unique differences in the human reproductive organs are what make it possible for humans to reproduce. I don't have to go into a great explanation of that. That's just factually the way it is. Okay? God created men and women, two genders, with reproductive organs necessary to fulfill his instruction to be fruitful and increase in number. You know, we always say this, that when God calls, he also equips. He never asks us to do something that we're not able to do without his help. And so when he, his purpose, be fruitful and fill the earth, he created men and women very specifically to enable them to be able to do that which we was going to ask them to do. There was pre-planning in that. He didn't create men and women in two distinct genders and then, and then decide afterwards, now I've got to figure out how to use them. Mm-mm. His original goal was, I've created the earth, it needs to be populated by human beings, and I'm going to create men and women with that thought in mind, and he creates two genders with the organs necessary to reproduce. It's that simple. Okay? Let me read to you. You say, well, I get this out of the NIV. What do other versions read? Okay? One of them reads, have a lot of children. Fill the earth with people. This idea of what he, what, what he was after he blessed them. Another one said, have many children. Fill the earth. Have many children and grow in number. Like I said this, God could have created people any way that he wanted to. Any way that he wanted to. But he created them with the physical equipment to reproduce. Okay? But that's not all. Like I said, I'm, I, I'm, I'm dancing, not dancing, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do this as tasteful as possible. Okay? Next thing. God intended for the sexual union to be enjoyable. You say, oh, Pastor, you're on dangerous ground. No, no, be careful, careful. Okay? I'll give you, again, God could have created our reproductive organs in any manner that he chose because they didn't exist before. Humans didn't exist, so he's creating something from nothing. In his creating, when he made men and women with their reproductive organs, he produced those organs with thousands Literally thousands of nerve endings in both men and women. Well, why would he do that? If he put the thousands of nerve endings in there, he did it specifically so that human beings would enjoy sex. You can't look at it any other way because he didn't have to do it that way. He clearly made it so that it would be a pleasurable thing. So there was more to it than just be fruitful and multiply. Very important to catch that. Reproduction was one, fill the earth. But there's a pleasure part of it, too, that as Christians, sometimes we want to back off because we don't want to talk about that, which that's coming later in the message. The other thing that happens, too, is not just the physical reaction to that, but there's also a very strong emotional response, response to sex that actually, you know, the psychologist and the emotional people would, 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 would there have been tests and there's been all kinds of things done that there's a strong emotional response that involves, involves our hormones, a flood of hormones. And that flood of hormones they found is extremely beneficial for the human being. Okay? Okay. Look at this next thing. So God gets it done. Now we're at what? Verse 31. We did 26, 27, then 28. I'm not sure what 29 and 30, you have your Bible in there, but jump to 31 and then God says this about all of creation. God saw all that he had made, 
And it was very good. God declared that human sexuality is good. Actually, he didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. Here's some things that other versions read. Some other wordings of that same verse right there. Not, um, it was very good, and he validated it completely. Now remember, this is talking about his creation, but in that is this very distinct creation of men and women, separate genders, and sexuality. He called it very good, and he validated it completely. It was very good, suitable, pleasant, and he approved it completely. God saw everything that he had made, and it was supremely good. It was excellent in every way. Do you get the message of the original language these guys have saying it? That God in all of his creation, including our sexuality, said that this was something that was very excellent, wonderful, very good, uh, uh, and, and he validated it and put his stamp of approval on all of it. Now, God did not make a mistake when he created human sexuality because God doesn't make mistakes. Our sexuality is very good. It's suitable. It's pleasant. It's supremely good. It's excellent in every way, and God approves of it and validates it completely and utterly. Now, take another step here. Sin has dramatically affected human sexuality. Human sexuality has been marred and damaged by our sin. Up until this point, not in this, this phrase I haven't developed, which we'll look at in a minute. We're going to develop this directly, but let's, let's, let's back up just a second with that. God created all these things, and he created, created it with the, the pleasure aspect, the physical aspect of, of, of the human reproductive organs and all that kind of stuff there. He called it good, very good. He embraced it. He said he validated it, said it was wonderful. All of that was before sin entered the world. So if you want to know what God's perfect plan is, we have got to understand that God made sexuality with very specific plans, reproductive and pleasure, and it was very good, it was important, part of his plan, and he embraced it and validated it before sin. Okay? Now, God does not approve and call good everything that's going on in our culture in the arena of sexuality. He created it to be a certain way. A lot of stuff in that, which we'll, we'll talk more about. He intended those things. That was good. But like so many other things in our sin-marred world, you get over here, it's not working out in our culture, in the world today, the way he originally intended it. Okay? Now let's, let's take a look. Let's go separate. I can, the best thing I can do here is give you some more scripture. Let's continue to develop this down. We're in with Adam and Eve and how this all happened, and, and so far sin hasn't occurred. Let's take a look at this. Uh, yeah. There's a big word coming up in a minute. 
that I want to, I want to, I want to, instead of reading the scripture to you first off, I want to talk about this word shame. It's coming. It's coming in the narrative. But I want you to understand it when we actually get to the verse. Okay? Um, shame. Shame first off in regards to sexuality. I want you, I don't think what I'm going to say next is going to be a startling thing to you. It might cause you to think a little bit, but I think you'll find that it's, it's accurate. There's something about sexuality in the world that we live in that makes us uncomfortable, embarrassed, ashamed, etc. Okay? All you got to do is test that. When I, when I stopped and said, okay, I'm trying to do this tastefully, why would I even say that? Because there's a tendency to be uncomfortable about this topic, to not really want to talk about it, to maybe even overcome our own shame and all those feelings that we have about that. I, I think if you think at all around the terms of sexuality, there's an awful lot of shame. There's an awful lot of, of adverse feelings about that. Well, why? Sometimes we can even think about sexuality and we think it's dirty. It's bad. Because of the feelings it incorporates or experiences or another person's experience and when they share that back that it must be a terrible thing. We must remember that it's marred by sin. If sin hadn't entered, it never, this stuff never would have been. And before I say more, well, why do we have this feeling of shame or, or these feelings about sexuality? Take a look. I'm going to tell you, it hasn't always been that way. It has not always been that way. Look at this. Genesis 2.25. Now what's happened, this is before sin, right here, Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife Eve, were both naked and they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. So, I was thinking about that statement. Thinking about that term naked and looking a little bit in the scripture didn't find a whole lot about the term naked because it means exactly what it says naked is no clothes they had no clothes on and they felt no shame i want to say this there's something about in the in now fast forward in the world that we live in there's something about nakedness that automatically makes us uncomfortable and you have to really wrestle with that one. Don't take my word for it. You think about your own situations, your own life, even where you are now, and there's a part, and almost all, I would think in all of us, there's a part of it that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, and sometimes a lot uncomfortable. And I want to tell this too. I'll make another statement, and you can test this one. You can turn this over, meditate. Nakedness has everything to do with sexuality. Let me lay this out to you. If you took sexuality out, if you took the differences between, if you could somehow eradicate the differences between men and women sexually speaking, and they were naked, what difference would it make? Some of you might say, well, yeah, but in our world today, there's body shaming, and if you're a guy, you've got to have big muscles and be in great shape, and if you're a woman, you have to have a perfect whatever. That's all about sexuality. That's all about sexuality. And so I'm laying out to you that nakedness is all about sexuality. 
When the Bible talks about nakedness, it's actually talking about our sexuality laid bare, laid open. And it says here that Adam and his wife were naked, no clothes on, in front of each other. And actually, we're assuming that God walked in the garden with them, as we're going to get farther along in this, and they were not ashamed at all. They were not self-conscious. They weren't embarrassed. None of that happened before sin. Okay? Let's go a little bit further. Let's talk a little bit more about shame. A little more definition of shame. Shame, that word, being ashamed, feeling disgraced. It's often used in the context of humiliation, public disgrace, shattered human emotions. It denotes confusion, embarrassment, or dismay when things don't turn out as expected. It sometimes has a strong connotation of guilt or disillusionment and a broken spirit. And if you read that over and over again, what you really have is a full discourse on a lot of views of sexuality in our culture today. It's based on shame. Don't take my word. Just keep reading about that and thinking about, first off, how you feel sometimes, and also other people and how they feel sometimes, and the communication, and even some of the discourses that go on in our culture of how to undo all that stuff when it comes to sexuality. Okay? But, we said before, before sin, Adam and his wife were naked, sexuality bared for all to see with None of that. Not a bit of it before sin came. There was no self-consciousness, no self-awareness in any of that stuff. It wasn't there. Now, sin drastically changed sexuality. Okay? Let's read together. This is Genesis 3, 6, and 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Look what it says next. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before sin, they were naked and unashamed. We've already developed that. Immediately, immediately after sin, immediately they realized They're naked. Their minds are open, which necessarily wasn't as good as we think it is. It actually was a bad thing, the way that their mind was open. And it says they immediately realized they were naked. They are immediately ashamed about their nakedness, their sexuality. They're immediately embarrassed about their sexuality. And how do we know that? Because what did they do? They immediately are embarrassed or feel shame towards one another. And what do they do initially? They go out and find fig leaves and they sew them together in this, it probably wasn't all that nice of a garment. Okay? They were very rudimentary. They went out and all that to do what? To cover up their sexuality. To try to get rid of the shame. To try to get rid of the embarrassment. To try to get rid of the disgrace so that nobody would think negatively and even though there was only two of them. Okay? In God's perfect creation, unmarred by sin, there was no covering or the hiding of sexuality at all that was necessary. Their covering, their acts to cover it up, 
were an attempt to get rid of their shame and embarrassment. Okay? Going to the root cause. It wasn't just to physically cover themselves up. Something snapped inside of them where they're feeling shame and embarrassment and all that stuff about their sexuality for the first time. And they're trying to make that feeling go away. And so they cover it up. Now it's interesting too, going ahead now, a couple verses later, God, God comes to the garden, He's walking, they hear Him, and God calls out, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And Adam answers, I heard you in the garden. Look what he says. I was naked, I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. What shocked me as I was reading this, and I've read this account, you don't know how many times I've read the first chapter of Genesis and studied it and done it, and even probably preached sermons about it, but when I came at it with this lens, I was shocked at how the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned was to cover up their sexuality, their nakedness, and the first thing they did when they were encountered by God was not to say, I have really screwed up God, it's like, I was afraid because I was naked. The biggest thing for them right now is, I don't want God to see my nakedness. I don't want God to see my sexuality because I'm terribly ashamed and embarrassed about all that. Now, don't get me wrong. There may have been, I don't know, I'm sure there was some guilt because also they're feeling the fact that they have disobeyed, but it's interesting how it all comes out. It comes out in, I was afraid because I was naked. What we see and experience, I need to make sure I'm in the right spot, no. I want you to see here that Adam's sexuality and his shame regarding that and his embarrassment was a big deal right from the moment that he sinned. It was human-to-human shame, and fear and shame towards God because of his sexuality. That didn't exist. One iota of it didn't exist before sin came into the world. Okay? Let's look at some conclusions. When I say not in conclusion, but to draw conclusions, plural, so hold on. All right? All right? First one our sexuality is really good and it's designed by God. Sin, our fallen nature, have drastically altered human sexuality in our views and practices regarding it. It's the only conclusion that you can draw if you go back to the beginning with no shame and no embarrassment and no hang-ups and God saying it was very good to the whatever we have today. The change was sin. And why has it progressed so far? The ongoing effect of sin over and over for generations and generations and thousands of years have really taken it a long ways from what God intended it to be. Okay? Shame, embarrassment, the broken spirits, the damaged emotions, the avoidance, the desire to cover it up, all those things regarding sexuality is a result of sin. What we see and experience in our culture the views and the practices around sexuality are the result of what happens when people ignore God's original intent for sexuality and seek to figure that sexuality out on their own with their own reasoning. 
if we would go and seek God about our sexuality and look what he says, that it's very good and what its purposes are for. And what I ever said that before, purposes of plan was and the way he designed it originally, and we were to walk in that, we would do very well for ourselves. But what happens as humans, especially in the culture we live in, is increasingly don't want to hear what God has to say about anything, so they're left to try to figure it out on their own with their own human reasoning, and it leads to craziness. What it also does too is not just that, but that shame and all those things there, we see those things is what happens when we, 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 we walk away from God's original intent and when we try to figure it out. And then what we find is like Adam and Eve, as humans, what we're actually doing is this is the very same thing. We're not out there sowing fig leaves, but we're trying to grasp at things in our own power, our own strength, our own reasoning, our own wisdom to try to cover it up. So nobody sees it. To try to cover it up so God doesn't see it. Without even knowing it, we do the exact same thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the first place, which is to go out and the best thing that they could find in their own reasoning was to sew some fig leaves together and get that covered up. We, like I said, we're not using fig leaves anymore, but we are using whatever we can in human reasoning as a culture to try to cover this thing up and get rid of it. something that's very important. We must not lay aside our sexuality or deny it because our culture's worked concepts about it. Instead, we need to seek to walk in God's original plan for sexuality because I'll tell you what happens. It's such a mess and so it's just so far removed and the pain and the hurt that people have. There's so many people that want to avoid sexuality altogether because of the baggage that comes along with it in a fallen world. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we cannot afford to lay aside our sexuality or deny it because of what the culture's done to it. We need to walk in what God's original purposes and plans are and do that confidently and in, 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 in with His approval. <clears throat> we need to embrace our sexuality from God's perspective, from His plan, and with His purposes. Here's what we actually need to do. We need to invite God into our sexuality. Not what Adam and Eve did, which was, I was naked, my sexuality is bared for you to see, and then hide from him. Uh-uh. What they did before sin, which was what? My sexuality, it's safe, God, for you to be involved in that part of my life. And because of what we have been through as people, as individuals, from little on up, I'll test this, and most of you, the last thing that you would think about in your relationship with God is involving Him in your sexuality. Even if you've walked with Jesus for 50 years, and that's just a little uncomfortable because we're still dealing with the shame and the embarrassment and all the stuff that goes along with it that comes from sin. We need to invite God into our sexuality. Ready? All of it. All of our sexuality. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm not talking outside of these four walls. I'm talking about us as individuals right now. Those that follow Christ. Those that are sold out to Him. That are trying to walk in obedience to Him. We need to invite God into our sexuality. The good parts of it. The bad parts of it. And the ugly parts of it. 
We need to invite God into our feelings and our emotions regarding our sexuality. We need to invite God into our practices of sexuality. We need to invite God into the shame, the guilt, and the discomfort that we have with that topic that causes us not want to talk to other people of faith about it. Here's what we need to do. We need to stop covering ourselves and stop hiding and embrace, embrace God's solutions for our sexuality. Look what Genesis 3.21 says. They had covered themselves with fig leaves to hide from each other. They hid from God because they were afraid. And what did God do? How dare you? No. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. That's powerful. Up until I studied this time, I thought that was just a, a matter of convenience. It was not. God went right to the heart of the result of their sin, and when he covered them, what it's actually saying is, Adam and Eve, I want to remove your guilt, your shame, your disgrace. And we know that as good Christians with Easter coming, he died on the cross, our shame of our sin, he wants to get rid of our shame, our embarrassment, our discomfort, and all those things regarding our sexuality. He wants to remove it. He wants to take care of it for us. God didn't expose Adam and Eve further than they had already done themselves. Very important. He didn't expose them. They did that to themselves when they sinned. God gave them, okay, the fig leaves. I know it was a perfect world before sin, and they grabbed semi-perfect. I don't know at what point nature started to fall apart, but those fig leaves were probably a lot better than the fig leaves that exist today. But because they were plants, they weren't permanent. Their fix was not going to work. God gave them something that was going to last. Think about it. Animal skins versus fig leaves. The animal skins are going to last. There's a lot in that. He gave them, he actually, in that, what we're seeing also, ready? He didn't leave them. He didn't forsake them. He met them in their sexual shame and their embarrassment, and he covered that shame and embarrassment. Go on saying, and you know what? God covers me and you. What he did for Adam and Eve in the garden, he'll do for you and I. The skins that he gave Adam and Eve is a picture. It's a foretaste. It's a, and I don't know the literary term, because my mind is not thinking literary. It's thinking about other things right now. But it's this thing that points to the future. It points to something that's coming. The skins that he gave Adam and Eve is a picture of what actually covers our shame and our embarrassment. And that's not animal skins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that covers all of our unrighteousness. We try to cover up our sexuality. The culture's working overtime at trying to do that. And all the different things that are going on are actually just trying to cover up the embarrassment and the shame about all this stuff there. We don't usually think about this, but the blood of Jesus Christ in, a full, in the fullness of salvation is meant to give a permanent solution to our shame, our disgrace, our embarrassment about our sexuality and enable us to walk in God's original plan. So the path 
to biblical human sexuality? What's the path look like to get to a, a truly biblical understanding and walking out of our sexuality from God's perspective? First off, it is imperative that we embrace that God created it and that he created it very good with a plan, a purpose, and great meaning. You have to go back to pre-sin to look at what the original was and that it was good and that there was a plan and purpose. If you don't embrace that and you want to throw that aside, you'll not be able to walk fully in God's plan for your sexuality in a biblical way. You've got to look at it. He called it very good. He made it. He designed every aspect of it. And he had a plan and a purpose for it. And then we have to do the next step. The path to biblical human sexuality and walking now is after we get to that spot, is before we jump too far ahead, is recognize that sin has marred all human sexuality. It has just made a mess of things. The enemy has gotten in the midst of that, very purposefully, if you will, to screw that thing up. Think of the great lengths that the enemy did to try to destroy what God had planned. And as we read the creation account, it's the, one of the, it's, it's, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you how shocking it was to me to see, after having read it over and over again, that the first thing that they deal with is their sexuality after they've sinned. It just shows that there's something super important about human sexuality that we tend to gloss over because our culture has just made it, it's just nothing. It's nothing to be valued. It's no big deal. It's just part of life. But if you're looking at the results of sin and how things changed and even the creation account and looking through that, it's one of the, it's like the, it looks like the first thing that the enemy truly attacked and went after. That's worth thinking on a little bit. Sin has messed it up. Original sin messed it up. But you know what? My sin and your sin messes it up in my life. My sin and your sin messes it up in other people's lives. And the other thing that happens too is not just in our own thing then, but then if we, if we start to follow the ways of the world and their reasoning and thinking about that, and when it comes to sexuality, it messes it up even further. And it brings all kinds of confusion, which again is another shame actually has in it, confusion as well. But the third thing, sex was good, created by God with a plan and purpose, sin messed it up. But Jesus, Jesus brings healing and hope and restoration from the results of sin. And as we've seen today, even the results of sin on our sexuality. I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to pray in a minute. The things I'm going to pray, and maybe there's things that you need to pray while I'm praying, just privately there. Maybe there's things that have really hit you today. But the main things I'm going to be praying about is... I want to pray that everybody that hears this will open their heart in a fresh new way to receive the fullness of the great gift of sexuality that God has given to us, that he called very good, that he, 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 he went to great detail to create all that, that we would be able to embrace that and receive that, saying, God, I don't fully understand. It's hard to grasp that in the, in the, in the world that we live in, but I want to receive the fullness of what you have there. And then this, also to receive God's forgiveness through the covering nature of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That we would be able to look back at the mistakes that we've made, the way that we've viewed it wrong, our embarrassment, our shame, all that stuff that comes with that, and we'd be able to take that to the foot of the cross and let the blood of Jesus cover that.
And then a third thing, to boldly come before the throne of God with our sexuality. To ask God and to go on a journey that He can take us back to what He originally planned for our sexuality. That we would let Him help us to get rid of all that's happened to our sexuality from living in a sin-stained world. And that we'd ask God not only to deal with our own stuff, but then to enable us to walk out biblical human sexuality in the midst of a sin-stained world. And I'll tell you, that's what the world really needs right now, is not for you and I to get on our soapboxes, although I am going to address issues in the weeks to come. But you know what God really needs and what the world really needs is you and I to really get back to what God originally planned for sexuality and walk that out confidently and unapologetically as a model, as an example of what it's supposed to be. And just like we talk about walking out our faith can open the door for conversations and to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ, walking out authentic, godly, human, biblical sexuality the way God intended it in a sin-marred world is going to show up and shine like crazy. Not everybody will like us because of it, but I'm going to tell you it's going to open up for those that have questions when they see us walking those things out accurately. And to learn to love each other as God loves us in our imperfections. Let me say it again. As followers of Christ, to ask God to help us to learn to walk out love towards other people the way that God loves us in our imperfections. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a lot that we've gone over today. Lord, We've already prayed at the beginning, but I'm praying at the end that your spirit would come even now as it's been here and put your seal on this, that you would even after this moment is done and we go home over the next few weeks, that you would send your spirit to remind us of your truth, to help us to gain understanding of your truth when it comes to our sexuality. And Lord, I pray that you give each one of us the, the, the mental strength, the spiritual discipline to sink our feet firmly into what you said in your word and, and what your original plan was. And Lord, even though we can't go back to the garden physically, Lord, you've made a way for us to deal with the junk that goes on in the world and in our own lives. Lord, I pray that we would not isolate you from our sexuality, that we'd be open books to invite you into that, Lord, we would invite you into the fullness of our sexuality, the good things, the bad things, and the ugly things. Lord, to recognize that you're not, we're hiding from you. You're not avoiding us. And Lord, we would overcome that and that we would come to you and let you do your healing work. We let you do your covering work like you did for Adam and Eve. Lord, we thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you for the blood of Christ that brings forgiveness but also covers our shame and removes it. And Lord, we need a good dose of that. All of us do. Not just the world. We need that as your followers to remove the shame, the embarrassment, the disgrace, the discomfort, all the things that comes with our fallen state when it comes to our sexuality. We ask you to enter that area of our lives and remove that and help us to see it from your perspective that you created us very good in that area. And you have great plans in that area of our life. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to walk out authentic biblical sexuality in the world that we live in. 
And that our lives, as we do that, would be beacons of light and beacons of hope for people that are searching with questions. Lord, I also want to invite you in the weeks to come as we look at other areas about this concept of biblical sexuality. Help us to continually remember and tie it back to your unchanging nature and your unchanging truth and also the fact that you are the author and creator of of human sexuality. Lord, I pray as we deal with the other things that the Word says that deal with the issues that we face in the world today, we, we ask that you would guide us into truth and you'd teach us and that we would learn and that we would deal with our own stuff And also, Lord, help us to be like Jesus, to be able to walk in love, to not bring condemnation, but to allow you in us as we speak and talk to bring conviction like Jesus did, but not condemnation, and there's a difference. Help us to walk those lines. Lord, we want, as individuals, well, I'll say I want, Lord, as an individual, and I want for us as a body of believers, Lord, to not do all this stuff but leave sexuality to the side because it's difficult to talk about, Lord. I pray that we would, I as an individual and we as a church would be able to embrace these things in the culture that we live in and that we would walk it out in a way that's pleasing to you, that's accurate to what you say, that it would bring great life to our hearts and our spirits and our souls and it would be something that you could use as a tool for people that are searching for answers to bring them to you and a saving knowledge to bring healing and hope to people that have been so long without it. Use us in so many ways. That not only would our sexuality be an avenue for physical reproduction, but you'd actually use our sexuality to be a way to build a bridge so people could have spiritual life. And Lord, only you can do those things. We just pray for your direction and your guidance in these things. And thank you for your word, which is not silent on these topics. We pray that we would not stray from what you say and lead us into understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, As the worship team closes us with one song, um, I just want to remind that there's prayer available, and I don't know what kinds of things are your, that people are needing prayer about. Uh, today's topic can kind of affect people in all kinds of different ways, and so I would encourage you, if God's prompting something,